Hey, what's up, everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Good morning. It's good to have you. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden, and I'm pumped that you're here. And uh, how many of you are excited about the Niners game happening a little bit later? Um, we're Niners fans here at Eden, and so I expect that we'll all be praying in unison this morning for the Lord's team to experience victory. Um, I'm just kidding a little bit, but mostly kidding. But you know, it's funny when you think about who your team is, and even as you think about some of your habits, I realized that I didn't have much of a choice in the matter of, of who I would become a fan of. Now, my dad didn't tell me that I had to become a 49ers fan, but his life set a pattern that made it really easy for me to become one. We watched games every week, every Sunday that the football season was going. We watched games uh, in our house. My dad really only had two types of clothes, 49ers clothes and then uh, just baseball clothes that we got because he supported a lot of our teams. The only time I ever saw my dad cry was when the 49ers won the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've never seen my dad cry. But he didn't tell me I had to become a fan, but his life set a pattern, and I became one. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of the habits in your life, a lot of the things that you do on a regular basis are more easily caught than taught. Have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes people don't need to teach you the things that you do all the time, but you review their life, you observe their life, and you watch their patterns. And if it's someone that you aspire to be like, you will catch some of their habits. One example of this, some of you guys know Mark. He's our worship leader. He was on the drums this morning. Mark does this thing where if he affirms what you've said, he won't tell you, but he'll just give you a thumbs up. And the other day, the other day, I noticed that I started giving people a thumbs up, and I don't do that. I said, where did this come from? And I had to trace it back, and I realized it was Mark. Then another lady that works on our staff did the same thing. She started giving people thumbs up. She said, Mark, we got to stop hanging out, Okay. <laughs> We're over here doing all this form of communication tied to you. But it's funny, right? He didn't tell me to start giving people a thumbs up. It was just a pattern, and I picked it up. My dad didn't tell me I had to become a 49ers fan. He just set a pattern, and we picked it up. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning because I want you to remember this phrase, look him right in the eyes, and just say, it's about patterns. Look him right in the eyes. Say, it's about patterns. It's about patterns. That was awesome. That was the best. You, we are getting used to talking to each other. This is awesome. We might have a greeting time next week. Who wants to have a five-minute greeting time with someone you don't know? Okay. Well, we've been in a series for the last several weeks called Are You Okay? Are You Okay? And we launched this series in light of the unique time in history that we're living did you know that social scientists predicted 50 years ago because of a lot of the technological advancements that they were seeing 50 years ago in like some of the audio, visual world, communication, robotics, computers, that we would have so much free time we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Isn't that crazy? 50 years ago they thought we're going to have so much leisure built into our regular schedule in the Western world, we don't know. I, people are going to struggle to figure out how to spend their leisure time. And I kind of wonder how shocked they would be if they actually saw reality in the 21st century. Because 
what we've used technology for is not for more rest, but we use technology for more work, right? We're not using technology to rest more. We're using it to work more. And we are cramming more work into every little crevice of our schedule. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense, right? Because sometimes we don't even see our own patterns until maybe we bring one to light. But how many of you have ever answered an email in the bathroom? Okay, and I don't need to get any more specific than that, but you know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you take your phone into the bathroom with you and you're answering emails? How many of you have ever answered an email while you're driving? Don't raise your hand, okay? Don't, you will be, people will get really upset, right? But, but there is like this pattern in our life and in the culture that we're living is where we are cramming more work because of the available technology into every little crevice of our life. And we wonder, how did this happen? Because it seems like, in my opinion, and maybe your observation, is that busyness is the new status symbol of choice for a lot of people. Because busyness means significance. Busyness means success. Busyness means progress. It means influence. How many of you have ever like been on a phone call where maybe you're talking to someone who you have authority over? I don't know. I just recognize this in me, so this may not be your deal. But I remember how good it felt if I was standing in a group of people and I was giving orders. I thought, man, the people who are looking at me must think I'm important, right? Have you guys ever had that feeling? You're not flawed like I am, but, but I've had that feeling, right? And sometimes busyness and, and being tied down and people coming to you with their problems makes you feel like you have a sense of significance. And I'm not saying that that's not true. And I'm not talking even about the type of busyness that happens when you're in a season of survival. I'm not talking about the type of busyness that is true for maybe a family who has like 10 kids or four kids, or whatever, eight kids, because that is just going to be part of your life. You're going to be active. And I'm not even talking about busyness in the sense that we have a full schedule, right? Because if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus, by that definition, would be considered busy. He filled his schedule with things that he loved to do. He filled his schedule with meaningful things. I'm talking about the type of busyness that has like pervaded our heart, where we are busy because we don't want to get bored. We're busy because we're afraid of something. We're busy because we are striving after some kind of significance. We are busy because somehow that busyness is tied to our identity. And I'm not sure how we got here. But I think part of the problem is that it's really easy for us to see the benefits of busyness, right? Like when you look at busy people, it seems as though they are more productive. It seems as though that they are extremely efficient. It seems as though their life may be progressing at a faster pace than your life. And so there is some attractiveness toward being busy and to being in a hurry and to hustling. And it's great. But I think what, as a culture, we're beginning to see is that there are some serious consequences to that type of life. And we realize that it's possible for people to look good on the outside but be struggling on the inside. We realize that it's possible to look okay out here, but you're struggling in here. And so over the last few weeks, we've been taking these steps to understand more of what's happening in here because what we're realizing is that if you can get this tight, if you can have a strong foundation here, you're way better prepared to manage and navigate everything that's happening out here. Um, I had a friend in college 
His name was Dave Garcia. He weighed 157 pounds, but he could bench 350 pounds. And we used to ask him, and we said, Dave, how, how are you so strong? And this is what he told us. He said, if you strengthen your core, you'll get stronger everywhere else. So over the last few weeks, that's what we've been trying to do. We've been trying to strengthen the core, to strengthen the soul, because when you get the soul strong, when you build a foundation for what's happening in here, everything else gets a little bit better. And so week one, we learned that busyness and hurry brings out the worst version of ourselves. We learned that it's the enemy of the soul and that it's not the type of life that God ever intended for us. Week two, we started to map out the soul. You remember my Rembrandt-esque portrait that I drew, the silhouette of the person? But we mapped out the soul because you can't get the soul right if you don't know how the soul works. And we learned that the function of the soul is to bring into alignment the mind, the body, and the will. And when those things are operating in alignment with one another, that is when, you know, everything in your world can fall apart, but you're doing all right. But when those things are out of alignment, everything can be going great in your life, and still you're not satisfied with what's happening inside. And so that was week two. And we learned that one of the ways that we shape the soul is through our habits. And so we call these holy habits. And a holy habit, the way that we defined it, is any activity that brings us into alignment with God's vision for our life. Any alignment that brings us into God's vision for our life. And the power of habits is like crazy, right? Have you ever, have you ever done something that you didn't want to do but after you did it, you were glad you did, right? Have you guys ever experienced that, right? Like you didn't want to go to the gym, but you had made a commitment to go to the gym, and so you decided to go to the gym anyways, and you stayed on the elliptical for an hour, and, and even though there were so many excuses and so many reasons why you didn't want to get up and go to the gym, you're so thankful that you did. There's something powerful about the habits in your life. There's something powerful about experiencing the joy of discipline on the other end of discipline. And so we've been talking about these holy habits, and this morning we're going to talk about holy habit numero uno, okay, for some of our non-Spanish-speaking individuals. And if you didn't grow up in California, that means number one, right? Our first, our first, Brandon, there you go, our first, our first holy habit that we're going to talk about this morning is the Sabbath, the Sabbath. And so to do that, we're going to be looking at the Hebrew Bible, which is also called the Old Testament, which is the story of God's partnership with humanity to bring hope into the world through the promise of a Savior, and his name was Jesus. And so the first book of the Old Testament is called the book of Genesis. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it begins with this phrase. You're going to be very impressed. It begins with this phrase in Hebrew. This is how it's worded. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim be'et ha'aletz. And you guys are impressed, right? I know. You can give it up. That only took four semesters of Hebrew to learn, and that's all I learned. But that's what it says, right? That's the opening statement, the opening phrase of the Bible, and it means, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was a pattern that he was setting. And in the beginning of chapter 2, it gives like a really quick summary of everything that it talked about in chapter 1 in terms of the origin creation story. And so that's what we're picking up this morning, Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. 
On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his creation. And so what it's saying is that in the beginning, for six days, God was at work. He was creating. He created the universe. He created space and time and the stars and the earth and everything in it with animals and vegetation and plants and the sea animals and the birds in the sky and humanity. And he did this for six days, and on the seventh day, it says that he rested. And as we read this, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because for us, work and rest go together. But as you begin to ponder some of these statements, you start to ask some questions. And one of the questions that you might be asking is, does God get tired? Right? I didn't think God got tired like I got tired. And if you're asking the question, then the answer to your question would be no. You're right. God doesn't get tired like we get tired. God doesn't get overwhelmed when, like we get overwhelmed. God doesn't clap back at people when they say something and he's having a bad day, right? He doesn't operate the way that we operate. And so the question is that if God doesn't get tired, why did he have to rest? If God doesn't get tired, why did he have to rest? Because God was setting a pattern. Turn to your neighbor, say, God was setting a pattern. God was setting a pattern. There are some things in the order of our family, Kayla and I, that we do not for us, but because we're setting a pattern. When we're crossing the street, we'll make sure we grab our kids' hands if we're crossing in the street with them, and we will draw out this entire process. We'll look to the left, and we'll say, nope, there's no cars. And then we'll look to the right, and we'll say, yep, no cars on that side either. And then we'll say, okay, it's safe to cross the street. Kayla and I, it takes us about half a second to assess whether or not we can cross the street, but we're not doing it for ourselves. We are setting a pattern, and that's exactly what God was doing. God was setting a pattern to help people understand the relationship between work and rest, and for thousands of years, it became the pattern of his people. Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 9 and 10 says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord, your God. And so there was this habit of rest that from the very early times of creation, God was helping to set a pattern for his people, six days of work, and on the seventh day you rest. And they call it a holy day. And the word holy, all it means is to be set apart, to be distinct from others. And so the seventh day was holy. And then they started calling it the Sabbath, and the word Sabbath, all, the, all that it means is to cease and to desist, right? To cease and to desist. And so for the people of Israel, the followers of God, the Sabbath happened from Friday at sundown, and it lasted all the way till Saturday at sundown. And in those 24 hours, they weren't allowed to do any work. You couldn't tend to the animals. You couldn't work on the garden. You couldn't cook food. You couldn't clean the house. You couldn't do anything that even remotely resembled normal work. And I started thinking about this, and I thought, this is why it's good to read the Bible. Because if, 
if I had known this as a child, I could have used this against my mother every morning, every Saturday morning she tried to get me up and clean, right? If I had just been committed to God's Word at a young age, I would have saved myself a lot of, a lot of unnecessary effort. So read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. It comes in handy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that meant that they weren't checking emails on their day off. That meant that they weren't trying to sneak into the office. They weren't pulling out the laptop. They weren't looking at what other people were doing on their shared Google Doc. It was a complete break from the rhythm of work. And I think, and we're going to set some things straight right now, that if you've been a part of the conversation for the last few weeks, it's possible that you might have thought we were going to come to the conclusion that work is bad because God says we need to rest. But that's not the conclusion that we're going to come to because that's not the case. In fact, I think, and I'm going to say this very carefully, I think that work is actually better than rest. Work is actually better than rest. But this is how we know that work is good. Work is one of the things that we still do today that we were doing before sin ever entered the world. It was the thing that we were doing in the Garden of Eden. God told humanity to multiply, to rule, to reign, to be productive, to expand, to create. I mean, we were working before sin ever threw us off, before sin messed anything up. And the interesting thing is that when we really look at what heaven is going to be like, this may be discouraging to hear, okay, but we're going to be working in heaven. I just want to let you know that we're going to be working in heaven. And if you think that heaven is going to be like this really long church service, that's not what it's going to be like. We are going to be productive, except it's going to be perfect productivity. We're going to be efficient, except it's perfect efficiency. We're going to be doing glorious work in heaven. And last but not least, look at the ratio of work to rest. God says work for six days and rest for one. Now, that's not necessarily referring to vocational work, but be productive, be active, grow, multiply, create, do things for six days, and rest for one. Rest for one. And so the question then is, is if work is not bad, then why do we rest? It's not because work is bad. It's because work is hard. Right? You guys know like I know, maybe more so than I know, but work is laborious. Work is tiring. Work is frustrating. Work can be overwhelming. Work can be tiresome. Work can be draining. And so we don't rest because work is bad. We rest because work is a hard thing to do. And so that's why we Sabbath. And there are three reasons why the Sabbath was part of the rhythm of God's creation. One, it's to rest your mind and your body. The purpose of the Sabbath is to rest your mind and your body. I love when we have groups uh, that I get to be a part of during the week because it's a lot different of a feel than Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings, you guys are looking good, right? You got up, maybe you read your Bibles, you had a good cup of coffee from your favorite coffee shop in town, and you're feeling fresh and you're feeling clean. We got live music that's good. Shout out to the band. They're awesome, right? Sundays, we're all cheering. It's a rally cry, right? We're having a good time. But in the middle of the week, when you go to your little groups, people come in tired. 
Oh, their eyes are glazed over. They're not smiling. It takes like a lot more energy to remember people's name. And you're a little overwhelmed because you just came to group after a bunch of hard conversations at work. You're tired from the day. You got projects that didn't go the way you planned. And it is awesome, right? But it is also, it's a reminder that work can be hard. Work can be draining. And so the purpose of the Sabbath was to rest your mind and to rest your body. Number two, it's to recharge your emotions. It's to recharge your emotions. And one thing that you have probably learned in life is that when you have a thin emotional margin, you're not a very great person to be around. And it's not because you're mean. Maybe that's what happens. But, I mean, just imagine talking to someone who's completely emotionally bankrupt. It's like they got no room to hear your problems, right? They got no room to even celebrate the good things that are happening in your life. You are just kind of spent and empty. You're a carcass. You're a secondary version of yourself. But there is nothing going on on the inside. Like if someone comes to you crying about some horrible life experience, it would take a lot for you to emotionally resonate and, and to experience the pain that they're experiencing, it takes a lot for you to cry, right? If you've ever been there. And so the purpose of the Sabbath is to really recharge your emotions, to recharge and to refill. And number three, and maybe most importantly, is to refocus your spirit. To refocus your spirit. Like I said, it's so easy on a Sunday morning to feel good, Right? You come into this place, you're celebrating, music is good, we're connecting, we're eating donuts, it's a good day. <laughs> but it doesn't take too much to kind of throw you off your path, right? It doesn't take too much to redirect your focus. Your kids wake up with a bad attitude, they're crying, you miss the alarm clock, you're going to be late for school, you're going to be late to work, someone cut you off in traffic, right? It doesn't take much during the week to throw you off. And so part of the Sabbath for us is to regain our focus, to regain our spiritual focus. And part of why that's so important is because you make so many decisions throughout the course of your week, so many decisions throughout the course of your day at work. And it's so easy for us when we are out of alignment with God to make decisions that don't align with who we really want to become. It is so easy that when we feel disconnected from God to make decisions that seem inconsistent with who we say we want to become. And so the Sabbath is meant for rest, meant to recharge, and meant to refocus. And so then the question is, how do we Sabbath? What does that look like in our context, in our day and age, in the 21st century in Silicon Valley? Well, you need to know a few things. First, this is not a rule, but it's a rule of thumb. It's not a rule, but it is a rule of thumb. I don't personally think when I understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the Sabbath is something that is a requirement. It's not a requirement. You don't have to do this. It's just wise if you do. It's one of those things, right? You don't have to. It's just helpful if you decide to do it. It's up to you. So you need to know that if on a Saturday on your day off and you choose to work, that's up to you. You ain't, you're not harming your relationship with God directly. It's a rule, but it's a rule of thumb. It's not a rule, but it's a rule of thumb. Number two, it's not self-care. It is soul care. It is not self-care. It's soul care. Some people might look at what you do on a Sabbath and call it self-care. But self-care, 
or call it soul care, but it's actually self-care because self-care is when the goal of your activity is to bring out your greatest potential. And you're like, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. It is wise and good for you to take care of yourself, for you to take care of your mind, for you to take care of your body. Self-care, in my opinion, is not a bad thing. But when we talk about soul care, it is just one layer deeper. It's one layer deeper. It's what you do when you want to see God's potential brought out in your life. It's what you do when you want to see God's potential brought out of your life. And so the point is that soul care can look like self-care, but when the intention is obedience and the goal is worship, it's not self-care, it's soul care. The point is that soul care can look like self-care, but when the intention is obedience and the goal is worship, it's not self-care, it's soul care. And so what do you do during this time? Let's keep it really simple. And we're going to take a little note out of Marie Kondo's textbook, right? Instead of doing what sparks joy, you want to do the things that spark worship in your life. And you might ask, well, how do I know if it's sparking worship? And this is not in the Bible. So this is Daniel's book on uh, what I learned in the School of Hard Knocks of the Sabbath, okay? The things that you know spark worship in your life cause you to demonstrate gratitude to God when you do it. So that means that if you've had a long day, a long week at work, and you have a Saturday where you don't have any plans, but you get to take a nap during the day, and when you wake up from the nap, you're like, God, thank you for that nap. I needed it. Or it's like if you had a free day and you met with a friend because you wanted to connect over coffee, and at the end of the conversation, you said, God, thank you for allowing me to have friends like this in my life. If on a Saturday morning the waves are good at Santa Cruz and you want to get your board out there and you're sitting on your board and you're having some deep conversation with God and you're like, God, thank you that I live close to the beach. Those are the things that you know are acts of worship. And it doesn't have to be necessarily reading your Bible. It doesn't have to necessarily be listening to worship, although those are wonderful things too. You want to do the things on a Sabbath that refill your cup, that recharge your soul, and not just anything, but you want to do the things that after you're doing those activities, you are showing gratitude. It leads your heart to demonstrate gratitude to God. You thank God for those things. And it's different for everyone. If you work at a physically demanding job, chances are, Sitting on a couch and resting all day may be a lot more enjoyable for you. If you are sitting in front of a computer all day, it is probably not going to be exciting for you to sit at home. You probably want to go out and be physically active. If you are an introvert, being around people is probably not how you recharge. If you are an extrovert, you want to be around people because it fills your cup. And so we have to understand that when we talk about the Sabbath, it is really the heart behind it is to refuel and to refocus your heart to God to do what makes you feel good, to do what leads you to worship. Number three, you are not taking a chance, but you are choosing to trust. When you choose to Sabbath, you are trusting that whatever you think you would gain by working more and doing more, he can do more with your rest than you can do with your work. That he can do more with your rest than you can do with your work. And that, to me, is the challenge of the Sabbath. Because depending on your personality type, depending on your drive, you might be the type of person who wants to sneak in any extra bit of work you can to get ahead, 
You want to try to be the best, and you think that the more hours you put in, the more you're going to gain. The more you're going to produce, the better you're going to get. But the challenge is, is that in God's economy, that's not how it works. In God's economy, he says, if you trust me with something, I will produce more in your life than you could ever produce on your own. I will do more than you can with what you have. And so the challenge is, am I going to trust God, trust that God is at work when I am at rest? That God can do more with my rest than I can do with my work. It's interesting that as you have like walked down the path of faith over and over again, you begin to notice that in every area of your life, God is setting a pattern. God is setting a pattern with your finances. He says, trust me and I'll show you I can do more with it than you can. He sets a pattern for relationships. Trust me in this. I can do more with building healthy relationships in your life than you can. And he says, trust me with your time. Because I promise you I can accomplish more with this time in your life if you trust me. Trust me with it. If you're willing to trust that God can do more with your faith than you can do with your work. And what's interesting about every single pattern that God sets is that he's asking you to give him a little bit more of your life. And it seems really scary at first, right? Like I'm going to trust God with my generosity. I'm going to trust God with my time. I'm going to trust him with my relationships. It's really scary. But what you begin to notice over time is that God's promises always seem to be fulfilled. Now, I'm not sure how that it works out in everybody's life, but the goal of every promise is not necessarily the change of the circumstance which is what we look at. But, the, but God's intention, every time he asks you to trust him, is to reshape your heart. Every time God asks you to trust him, every time that he communicates a pattern in his life is because he is trying to gain more of your heart. That every pattern we see in Scripture that God encourages us to walk down and to incorporate into our life, it is because He wants us to be more connected with Him. He wants us to be more in love with Him, to trust Him more. Every pattern that God is setting is one that is going to lead you to the best version of yourself. That is the goal. That He wants to organize your way your life in such a way that we're going to connect with him, that we're going to walk with him and be close to him. Because there are some of us today that we haven't maybe ordered our life around some of the patterns that God has organized for us, and we feel kind of distant. We feel disconnected. We feel maybe even broken and empty and lonely and struggling and trying to navigate what the purpose of our life is. And God knows that if you have allowed for the pattern to shape your heart, when you get to those moments in your life, you will believe that God is able to fix and redirect where you're at in your circumstance. Last week, my son Grayson, he's a sweet, wonderful boy, but he's been in this two-year pattern in his life where uh, he likes to deconstruct things. And when I say deconstruct, I mean break, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
He likes to break things. And we thought it was a phase, but it hasn't ended yet. So I don't know what you call, I don't know how long phases can last, but, but last week he comes to me. I was home, and uh, he was playing in the room, and he had broken these cheap glasses, you know, the glasses that you get like as a party favor inside, you know, birthday party. And so there's cheap glasses, and he broke them. And because they were cheap glasses, it wasn't like you could like reattach the glasses in the little grooves where the little earpiece sits. But it was literally broken, right? The glasses were broken. The plastic was sort of shredded off each other. And so I told him, I said, Grayson, and I was a little frustrated because I'm tired of him breaking stuff, deconstructing stuff. That's how, as a parent, you got to like frame it in a positive way. He's got great executive leadership potential. They're bossy, okay? But he broke it, and I was a little frustrated, and so I just grabbed the glasses from him, and I said, Grayson, these are broken. We're going to throw them away. And he said, no, Daddy, please, please don't throw them away. Please don't throw them away. I said, Grayson, they're broken. I can't fix them. And he said, Daddy, you can fix it. Please don't throw it away. Please don't throw it away. And I was getting more and more upset. I said, Grayson, look, these cannot be fixed. I'm throwing them away. He said, please, Daddy, don't throw them away. You can fix it. And I feel like that is the voice of God in our life. That like when we get discouraged, when we get tired, maybe our life hasn't had the pattern that God has set before us. Sometimes it's easy for us even to look at other people's lives or to look at our own and to say, it is done. It's broken. We can't fix it. I've been addicted to this. I've been destroyed by this. I've ruined relationships. I'm a horrible leader. I've broken down organizations. We can look at our life and we can just say this is the end. It's broken. But I think that the power of these patterns in God's life, even the Sabbath, are these moments where God will speak into your heart in the middle of a hurried and chaotic and busy season of life and he will drop some serious truth into your heart and he will remind you that it's not broken, I can fix it. It's not broken, I can fix it. We read this verse last week, it won't be up on the screen, so just listen. But it's Psalm chapter 23, verses one through three. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet water. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. If this morning you have come in with a drained, bankrupt soul, if you have been running from one task to the next, hurrying from one project to the next, running from one season of life to the next, and you've come into this place and you are asking serious questions about your life. What is the purpose? Why am I here? Where am I going? This is what you need to remember, that Jesus refreshes your soul. And there are some of us that don't understand that truth because we've never taken the step of faith to set it as a pattern in our life to connect with God. And so this morning, if that is your story, if you've come and disconnected from God, out of alignment with God, we want to give you an opportunity to connect with Him. Because that's God's heart, is to reach into your life and to do what you cannot do for yourself. 
He will take your faith and he will change you from the inside out. And so if that's you this morning, I want to invite you into an opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus if you've never had that relationship before. And the way we're going to do it, and we do this each week, is I'm going to say a prayer. And if what I'm saying resonates with what you're feeling, you can pray that prayer in your heart. You can repeat after me in your heart. And so let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. And if this morning you want to invite Jesus to be part of your story, you can pray this prayer after me in your heart. God, today I'm not where I want to be. And I don't know how to get to where I'm trying to go. I need you to help me find my purpose. I need you to help me find my way. God, help me to let go of the things that are destroying me from the inside out. Today, I want to turn from sin and from habits and from thinking patterns that discourage me and are breaking me. And I want to begin following you. Today, I surrender my heart to you. I trust that your sacrifice on the cross can wipe away every sin and every bad decision, every selfish decision that I've made and that you can make me clean. I trust that you will transform my life. Help me follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I believe. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to just quickly raise up your hand so that we can celebrate what God bless you. God bless you. I see 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 you. God bless you. God, I thank you for every life that you are working in this morning. It is by no mistake that they walk through the doors of this church. I don't care about how they heard it. That is you knocking at the door of their heart. That is you reminding them that you're not done with them, that you can fix it. Whatever it is, you can fix it. Because that's what you do. You make old things new. You take broken things and you make them fresh. And God, we thank you that you're doing that here in this room right now like you do every single week. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this community. I pray, God, that you would give us wisdom in how we de develop and organize our week and to make sure that our habits are centered and set upon your ways and not our ways. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.